Father God, um, I know that the enemy wants to come and distract. He wants to take away the things that make us feel a certain way because then that's how we normally tap into you, God. When we feel good, when we feel a certain way by our emotions or when we are um, aesthetically pleased by certain things. But God, I believe right now, you have something that you want to do in this place because I've been praying about this for a little while. And Lord, I'm not going to allow the enemy to come in and distract right now. And so, Father, I pray that every heart would be open to what you have to say right now because this is why we came. We came here to meet you. And so, Lord, I pray you would use my words, that you would minimize me, and that you would maximize yourself, God, that you would make me less and you would make yourself greater. And that right now, Father, you would release the word that you want your people to hear. And this is what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, um, you know, I think it's always good to, like, yeah, be vulnerable. We talk about that a lot. You know, like you should be vulnerable. Like, because, you know, if you, well, I shouldn't talk about it because I haven't read it. But if you know Brene Brown, <laughs> her book is very good, so I hear. So you should probably read it. It's called Daring Greatly. And I think if you've listened to her TED Talk, it's like the most or one of the most listened to TED Talks. talks about being vulnerable and the strength of vulnerability. And so, um, yeah, I think that's really, really important. And so in that, I want to share some embarrassing stories about myself. So that way, you know, um, you feel like you know me a little bit better. And so I want you to know me. Um, and so I can't ask you to be vulnerable if I'm not vulnerable myself. So um, I think one of my most, like, not good qualities is how bad my feet smell. And you don't, you don't, you don't really know how bad my feet really smell. So, like, so you just, like, so in the beginning, right, I used to think it was just girls, right, who would be mad about it. But it's bad when guys get mad about it. So I used to play basketball, like, all the time, right? And so after practice, you know, like, um, it's, a very, it's a very basketball thing. Like, you wear slides, you know, like, you don't wear your shoes out, right, because those are your gym indoor shoes. Like, so, okay, you guys don't know, like, basketball is like you have a pair of indoor shoes that you ball in on indoor surfaces, and you have a pair of outdoor shoes that you ball on outdoor surfaces because you don't want to mess up the grip okay forget it anyway so you change out of your basketball shoes because you practice in an indoor gym so you wear these slides so when I take off my shoes and I take off my socks because you I because you wear your slides right and so every time I would take off my shoes and my socks my teammates would look at me they were like and then they would get up and then they would change at another part of the gym. And I was like, wow, that's pretty bad. Like, so I used to think it was only girls, like, but if it was guys, like, it's pretty bad. And then even my best friend, Ethan, he was like, he's like, yeah, it's pretty bad. And he would get up and he would go and change on the other side of the gym. And there's one time where it got really bad. So even when I wasn't like working out, my feet still smelled. So there's one time when I went over to my friend's house after work. So just after work. And I went to his house, and he still lived with his mom. And so I went in, and I, we were just hanging out. And then his mom only speaks Chinese. But he went over to my friend, and he whispered something in his ear. And my friend came over to me, and he said, um, my mom says your feet smell really bad. And she said that if you want to stay in our house, you have to go wash your feet right now. <laughs> so he literally took me to his restroom in his bathtub, and I had to, like, roll up my jeans, and I had to wash my feet in his bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> that was horrible. That was really bad. So, yeah, that's like my most like not like great quality. <laughs> Man, that was horrible. So then from then on, I would carry in my car like things that I could do to manage my smelly feet. So I would have like, I would have foot spray. 
I'd have extra change of socks. I would have like, like, yeah, I had a bunch of stuff. And so like before I would go to like Bible studies and stuff at church, I would literally park outside, but far enough away so no one could see like from the window. I would get out. I would go to the trunk of my car. I would pop the trunk. I would sit on it, right? I would get all my stuff out. I would change my socks. I would like wipe my feet. I would spray it. And then I would put like my new pair of socks on. And then I would put on my shoes and then walk into Bible study so that I would never have to wash my feet because someone's mom didn't like the way my feet smelled ever again. So it's pretty bad. Could I actually have more house light, uh, Sherman? Back to full? Thank you. And so I share that because it is very embarrassing. But, you know, as I thought about embarrassment, you know, it's good when you can talk about it and laugh at yourself. But I want to tell you, there was a point in my life where I didn't want to talk about it because it's very embarrassing, right? Like, I don't want to tell anybody. Like, I didn't want anyone to know, you know. And, like, when my friend's mom called me out, like, it felt horrible. Like, it felt like... I felt, I felt so dirty, you know, like I felt like I didn't want to be there anymore. I wanted to hide, you know, especially like my feet, you know what I mean? Like I felt ashamed, you know, and I think that's the topic that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about shame that we carry because I want you to know something right off the bat. It's never God's heart for you to carry any shame to any degree at all. Not even a shred, not even a shred. Now I know what you're thinking well, what if I've done something bad, right? Like, like, like should, th- does that mean I should be proud of what I've done? No, I don't think God thinks you should be proud of what you've done. But all the way to the other side of shame, no, God doesn't want you to live in that place either. So I think God wants to really talk about shame today. And I think God wants to, he wants to step into that place. You know, it's kind of like he would, if he was to like be with me in that moment, he would be like in the restroom with me with my smelly feet and helping me wash my feet. That's where God wants to be today. He wants to step into that place where you feel shame. He wants to talk about the thing that happened in the past that you don't want to talk about. The thing that happened that you don't want anyone to know about. The thing that you don't want to share ever or talk about ever, even though it's on your mind all the time. The thing that you wish that no one would ever find out. The thing that even when you want prayer, you can't even ask for it because you just don't want to bring it up. I want to go there, and I know that's hard, but I want to go there. Usually I ask, are you guys ready for that? But I don't think that's a good time for me to ask today. (laughs) I'm just going to go there. And I hope that God will speak life to you in this place today. Okay, so let's begin. The first thing we have to talk about is the nature of shame. I want you to know there's a progression It first starts off as something called guilt, okay? And then it progresses to embarrassment, and then it progresses to shame. Now, guilt at the first part is good. I want you to know that. Feeling guilt is good. In fact, the Holy Spirit is actually what convicts you of your sin. He lets you know that, hey, you did something wrong. He actually allows you to feel guilt, and it's a good thing. Why? Because you don't want to live oblivious to the fact that you're doing bad things. That's your conscience, basically. God gave you a conscience for a reason. It's a blessing. So guilt is good. And so can we have that first verse? This is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. He says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is a good thing. Because if we don't know that we have sin, then we don't know that we need to be saved. If we don't know that we're wrong, we don't know that we need to find a better way. So this is a blessing. So he says, Holy Spirit comes to let you know that you have sin, let you know that he is righteous, and let you know that unfortunately judgment is coming. So you've got to make a choice. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. But how is guilt handled in a healthy manner? In a healthy manner, right? Because if you don't handle that guilt properly, then it becomes embarrassment. So how do we handle it properly? I want you to know, when you have guilt, you have a choice to make. You can either repent. That means admit that you are wrong and that God is right. Or you can do many other things which are not healthy. So some of us, have you ever done this? You blame yourself. Your guilt, oh, oh yeah, I did that. Oh, blame myself. You blame others. It's not my fault. Just like what Adam did. That woman you gave me, gave me the fruit. You justify it. That wasn't wrong, God. That wasn't that bad. I didn't do anything wrong. Or you compensate. Well, I did bad here. Well, I'll make up for it, God. I'll do something over here instead. I want you to know, when we have guilt, if we handle it in any of these ways, it won't take that guilt away. It won't take what happened away. It won't take what happened in the past away. It's just our way of coping with it. Do you guys get what I'm saying? It's just a way that we kind of cope with it. But I want you to know, God wants to bring in a better way today. But I have to tell you what's the wrong way first so that you know that we can't do it that way anymore. Because if we handle it that way, guys, when you look back at your past, you'll still be embarrassed. Right? When you look back, you'll still be shamed. You'll still feel that shame. And I don't want it to progress to that. Because I can I tell you the big difference between guilt and shame is that guilt talks about your actions. But when you become shamed, it talks about who you are as a person. It becomes an indictment of who you are. It becomes an indictment of your character, of your worth. It becomes an indictment on your identity. And that's so dangerous. God never intended that. God never intended that what you do is a, is a reflection of who you are or becomes the judgment of who you are. He never wanted that. He never wanted your identity to be rooted in what you do and what you don't do. So we can't let this guilt become something bigger than what it was ever meant to be. It has to stay in that one place and then be removed right away when we come to God, okay? So now we're gonna go to one of my favorite stories. I always say that, that's a lie. It's not one of my favorite stories, but it's a really powerful story. So let's go to Joshua 2. And it's gonna be the story of Rahab and the spies. And perhaps you've heard it. But I want you to listen to it with new ears because I believe this story truly in my heart I believe this is the perfect story to talk about shame and the most beautiful story of redemption in the Bible. You guys ready for that? Mm, that's a good one. Let's begin. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sorry, I'm starting from verse 1. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from shit to, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. The king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you and entered your house. For they have come to search out our land. But the, woman who, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. Well, I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water at the Red Sea before you when you came out of, out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save my life, save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And then she lets them escape. Okay. Now this is a powerful story. Now I want to first off tell you about my experience with this story because it's actually really funny. I heard this story a lot when I was a kid. And you know what I got out of this story? I got out of this story, God's own, God will forgive you if you lie, if you have a good reason. Because <laughs> if you think about it, she straight up lied. And then she, if you, okay, sorry, I have to give you a spoiler alert. Okay, so spoiler alert. Uh, the Israelites come, they, they, they walk around the walls, they shout, the walls fall down, they win, they kill, all the, they kill everyone in Jericho, they save her, they burn down the whole city, okay? <laughs> so she, she gets to live. So she gets her promise. So it's like, wait a second, God. You rewarded a liar. Like, she lied, and then you rewarded her. Like, so that basically tells me I can lie if I have a good reason. So I want to tell you, first of all, that no, that's not the point of this story. God did not reward her because of her lying. God rewarded her because she was faithful, because she believed. Okay, so I want to first uh, address that commonly mistaken conclusion that God blessed her because she lied, or that because she lied, it was okay to lie because she had a good reason to. I want you to know right now, it's, there's, God will never bless or enjoy the fact that you lied. I think God did not like the fact that she lied, that perhaps there was a better way to handle the situation, but he blessed her because of her faithfulness, okay? So now, let's get to the story. We talk about shame. You know, I don't know if you read the Bible a lot, but I hear prostitute a lot in the Bible, right? She was a prostitute. Like Mary Magdalene's a prostitute. Rahab's a prostitute. You know, there's another, there's another mention of a prostitute in Hosea. We hear the word prostitute a lot in the Bible. You know, even as a kid, I heard that word a lot. But I don't think I really understood what it really meant until I watched a documentary called Nefarious. And if you have not seen it, um, I, I do recommend that you see it because it's, it's, very, it's very powerful and it's, it's very eye-opening. But I want you to know, for a woman to become a prostitute is very, very, very hard. It's probably one of the most painful and shameful things ever. And it's like slavery. I don't know if you guys know. Prostitution is like slavery. No woman ever wants to become 
a prostitute. You know, sometimes we think, oh, yeah, you know, she did that because that's the only way she could make a living or she doesn't care. Like, she chose this. That's, that's what she wanted to do, blah, blah, blah. I want you to know that's a lie. There's no woman that wants to be a prostitute. It's basically slavery that is, that's legalized. And I had to think how Rahab really feels. She, she's been broken down. She's been stripped of all her dignity. She's been stripped of all her freedom, all of her, all, all, all of her identity as a woman. She's a slave, and she gives up of herself to anyone who asks. It's a, it's, it's a horrible thing. And when I speak about shame, can I say that there's something I really learned from Rahab? and from learning about prostitution. But there's actually two types of shame. There's one that comes from what you've done, but there's also a type of shame that comes when something has been done to you. Do you guys know what I'm saying? There's two types. There's a type when you feel shame because you've done something, but there's also a type that you feel like is on you because of what someone else did to you. And I wanna speak into that really quickly. If you feel shame today because of something you've done, can I just tell you what I feel like God's heart for you is? His heart for you is that he loves you and he's not here to point out what you've done wrong. Because you know what? If you feel shame, he already knows that you know that it's wrong. Does that make sense, guys? That's why Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save. And I believe that's the word of God for you today. That if you feel shame right now, if you feel like you can't draw near to God right now, he didn't come to tell you what you did wrong. You already know. But he came to tell you about himself. And secondly, if you feel shame because of something that's been done to you, if you've been abused, if you had a divorce in your family, your parents got separated, can I tell you, I believe God's heart for you is very simple. He wants you to know it's not your fault. I think it's just very simple. He wants you to know it's not your fault. You didn't deserve it. And there was nothing that you could have done to make it better. That you don't have to bear the weight of that on yourself. And so I want to speak into this place. And maybe you have a little bit of both. But I want to retell this story. And I want to bring you into Rahab's perspective. Because I believe if we step into Rahab's perspective, it's in this place that we find out what Jesus wants to do. And how he dramatically changed her life. So imagine Rahab is a prostitute. It's just another night, like every other night, she has to make money because of her slave master. So she leaves her door unlocked, which most people don't. And she hangs a red cord by her door because that red cord symbolizes that she's a prostitute and that her door is unlocked. And so guess what? This night that seems like any other night, there's a knock at the door. And there's two men. And so she's thinking, well, this is what we normally do. So she lets them in. But you know what's amazing? This night is different. And these two men, they didn't come because they were looking for something from her. They came asking for her help. So imagine, she, she hears the knock. She's not excited to open the door. She opens the door. She sees two men she's never seen before in her city. And they quickly run in and they shut the door. And she, they tell her, help us. We need to hide. And she's like, what are you talking about? 
Like, what? I'm a prostitute. What are you talking about? You need to hide. Who are you? And they, in probably like a couple minutes, tell her the whole story of Israel. They tell her, no, 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 we're not from here. We're Israelites. We're from another land. We came from Egypt. But God sent us here. He gave us this land. We're here to spy out the land because God has given it to us. And we came here just to see the city because God is going to give this city into our hands. But we believe that we've been found out and the king knows that we're here. You have to hide us or we will die. Now, if I was Rahab, I'd be like, that's not my problem. Like, what's that got to do with me? But you see, Rahab was smart. You see what she said in her story? She said, I've heard of you. I heard of what happened in Egypt. So as they were telling her, sto- them her, as they were telling her their story, she was listening very carefully. She was listening very carefully. And she realized, I do know who you are. I do know what you're about. And she saw an opportunity. Now, before we get to that, I want you to know something. It was not by accident that God had this happen exactly the way that it did. That it happened at night. And that it happened that two men came into her place. Let me tell you something. You know what her room represents, guys? Her room represents all of her shame. Because what happens inside of her house? What happens inside of her house every night, multiple times a night? It's the shameful thing that she has to do. It's the, it's the epitome of her shame. It's a place that she doesn't want anyone to come into. But this night, what did God do? God sent salvation into that place. God sent two men from Israel to walk into that place. And they didn't even know what they were walking into. Let me tell you something. The first thing that God wants to do is he wants to walk directly into the place of where your shame is. Don't hide it from him. God's not here to, 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 to sugarcoat things. God wants to go directly to what happened. God wants to go to directly where you don't want to talk about. He wants to go right to the place where you hide it. He wants to knock on that door just like where Rahab was. Just like when she had that cord hanging outside her door and what it represented. God wants to go to that part of your heart, to that part of your life, to that part of your past. He wants to knock on that door and say, I'm just asking, can I come in? That's what Jesus is asking you right now. Can I come in? Can I come into this space right now? Can I come in? And notice what he does. God doesn't come in to say, oh, he didn't tell the spies, oh, avoid a prostitute's, ha- prostitute's house. They walked in. They were like, oh, shoot, man. This is a prostitute's house. We got to get out of here. I don't want to be in here. This is disgusting. No, that's not what happened. They came in and they shared their story with her. God wants to walk into your place. I want to tell you guys something. When God walks into that place, he doesn't come in to tell you what you did wrong. He doesn't come in there to tell you how gross it is or how shameful it is, how wrong it is. No, he doesn't come in to do any of that. He comes in to see you. He came in to see you, to meet you, and to tell you about himself. That's his goal. And so my first question is for you. Maybe you're at this first point and you don't want God to come in. You don't want him to see this. You don't want to talk about it. You don't even want to pray about it. You don't want him to see. But Jesus is asking you right now today, guys, can I come in? And not because I want to talk about this, but because I want to tell you about who I am. That's what he wants to know. Are you going to let him in? Are you even going to open the door when he knocks on that place? And so the second thing you have to ask yourself is, I want you guys to know something else too. You can't get rid of your shame by yourself. You can't. No matter what you do, you can't get rid of your shame 
by yourself. By definition, you need someone greater. You need someone to redeem you. Someone who's going to take you from where you were and bring you out. But you see why no one else or yourself can't? Because we're in the same spot. We're in the same place. We all have sin. We all have shame. So you can't be taken out of it. That's why Jesus needs to come in. And he needs to be the one to redeem you. And so you might be asking, well, what can Jesus do? Have you guys been in church before? Maybe you've been in church before. You heard the four spiritual laws. Oh yeah, God loves you. You have sin. Jesus died on the cross for you and you can have new life. Well, I want to tell you guys very specifically today what God does for you. Because this is very powerful. How he redeems you. We hear all these, not trigger, but very like Christian jargon words. We hear, oh, you have inheritance. You have new life. You have redemption. Well, I want to explain it to you so that you can really grasp what Jesus wants to do in that space. Okay? And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to put myself on the line first before we move further. Because he did this for me in my biggest area of shame. So I've shared this story with you before, but if you've not heard it before, I've struggled with looking at pornography for a long time in my life. I struggled with it probably from the age of about 10 all the way until I was probably about 29 years old. Okay? And it was a huge source of shame for me. I was a church leader. I was doing youth ministry. I was a worship leader. And to make it even worse, I was married. And it didn't go away after I got married. It was a huge source of shame for me. I want you guys to know, I understand this story of Rahab because it happened to me. So as we go further, I want to use myself as an example of what God does for us. Okay? So the first thing, let's look at what God does. Rahab is smart. When she hears who they are, she says, I'll help you, but you have to do something for me. So look at what she asked. Can we have the next verse? So it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute. Oh, yeah, this is, oh yeah, I was supposed to talk about this, but I skipped it. And this is just talking about how she was rewarded for her faith. But by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish. So this is just the part where I talked about, you know, in Hebrews that um, she's in Hebrews because of her faithfulness, not because she's a good liar. So can we have the next verse? <laughs> Sorry about that. All right. So now she's smart. So she says, okay, I'll help you, but you got to do something for me. So she says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save me alive, save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So she's smart. She's like, I'll help you, but why would I help the people who are going to come back later in three days and kill us all? So she says, well, if, you're gonna, if, if, if I'm going to help you, you got to do something for me. Save us. Take us out of this place. Now, this has a greater connotation than you guys realize. She's a foreigner. She's not an Israelite. What she's asking for is crazy. Okay? Because in the Old Testament, God only gives his promises to his people. Specifically, the Israelites. So she's asking, basically what she's asking for is adoption. She's saying, take my family, adopt us. Bring us into your country. Bring us into your people. Make us like you. Don't just save us, but we want to come and be part of your people. That's a crazy ask. That's crazy. You guys don't realize that. She's saying, you want my help? Fine, but I want to join you. And let me, let me tell you guys something. I don't know if she knew this in the spirit, but can we jump to that Leviticus verse? God already made a way for adoption. 
he said in his word, in his law, this is from his law. He says, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So right from the beginning, God says, you, you as a nation have to have an open heart. Whoever wants to join you, whoever wants to stay with you, whoever wants to travel with you, you will treat them like your own, like a native. He already made a way for adoption. So let me tell you something. The first thing that God does when he redeems you is he adopts you. Why does your life change? Let me tell you something. The reason why your shame is gone, the reason why your life changes is because you're not your own anymore. You're not your own family anymore. He takes you out of your situation and he brings you into his family. He brings you into a different, completely different life. I know you guys don't believe that, but you have to grasp this. You're not the same. When you say yes to Jesus, he takes you out of your place and he brings you to a completely new place. Imagine Rahab. In the next three days, they come back. The whole city is falling apart. Everyone's being slain. They, the soldiers run. They grab her and her family and they bring her over to their camp. And she looks behind her and she sees her whole old life burning away. Her house where all that shame used to be is crumbling and burning. That's what God does for you. He came here to tell you today that when you believe in me, when you let me redeem you, when you trust me with your life, I don't just make things better, quote unquote. This is literally what Jesus does. He takes your past and he burns it down, just like Jericho. He says, that's no longer your story. That's no longer part of your life. That's no longer who you are. He brings it to the ground and he burns it and it has nothing to do with you any longer. And he tells you, come into my family. Come into my people and you have a different life. Here's the second thing that happens. When you become, when Rahab becomes part of their people, she's not just a citizen physically. She's a citizen spiritually. Every blessing that happens to the nation of Israel, she gets. She gets everything that they get. Every blessing that, she, that they get, she gets. That means when they got a piece of the promised land, guess what? She got a piece of the promised land. Do you guys feel the gravity of that? She's not even an Israelite. She's not even born with them. But because she joined their people, everything that they get, every inheritance that is theirs is hers. And can I tell you guys something? That's the same for you. You know what God does for you when he redeems you? He doesn't just give you a new life. He doesn't just take away your past and remove it far from you and say that's not who you are. But every blessing under heaven is yours. Everything that's in the Bible, every promise he gives you, everything that he says is for you. Every word of it. Do you guys believe that? Every single word of it is yours. Everything. You have full access to him. Every resource that he has is now yours because you're not just another person. You're his son now. You're his daughter now. You have everything that he has. That changes everything, guys. That changes everything about your life. And can I tell you the last thing that he does? Besides adoption and sonship, which is already so powerful, is he sets you on a course for a story that you could never tell. He takes you from where you were and gives you a brand new life, even in the flesh. Can we go to the next verse in Matthew? We go to the genealogy genealogy of Jesus and maybe you already know this maybe you already know that Rahab is in here but you know what I still got some revelation for you she's a prostitute correct she's single correct let's read this very carefully salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab this first line tells me she got married 
Can you all just stop for just a second? That's already beautiful. That line right there, God gave a prostitute a second chance where she could get married and understand true love in the way that God intended. You want to talk about redemption? That's redemption. She knew love the wrong way her whole life. She knew intimacy the wrong way her whole life. She knew love, even sex, in the wrong way her whole life. And God said, no, let me redeem it. How? I'm going to give you a husband. I'm going to give you a loving husband. And I'm going to show you what my love looks like. I'm going to show you what real intimacy in the right context looks like. That's beautiful, guys. Even in today's world, how many people would step up like salmon and marry a prostitute? Isn't that beautiful? That's redemption. Because it wouldn't have been redeeming if she was like, okay, well, you're a prostitute. You're with us. But you know what? Uh, You're just going to die alone. God said, no, I have good things for you. I have better things for you. It's not just enough. I'm going to give you more. I'm going to redeem the exact spot that you didn't understand. That was your source of pain, which was for her love, sex, and intimacy. He said, no, I'm going to rewrite that. Let me tell you something. That's what God does. When he takes your shame, he goes to that exact spot and he says, you knew it wrong. It's written wrong. The story that you have right now is wrong. I'm going to walk into this place. Let me wipe it clean. I'm going to rewrite it the right way. That's what God does. Let me tell you something. Is there someone in this room that's dealing with abandonment, loneliness? God wants to step into that place and say, no, I'm going to rewrite this story so you understand fellowship better. Is there someone in this room who's dealing with a sense of worthlessness? Sense that you aren't worth anything. You have no, you have no love for yourself. God wants to come in and wipe that clean and say, I'm going to show you how precious you are, how valuable you are. God speaks directly to your pain, directly to your shame. And he speaks truth and love and healing into it. It's not by mistake that God allowed her to have a family, to have her own child. Because he knew that is what redemption is. He takes what was broken and he restores it back to what it was meant to be. He gave her the glimpse of true love, of true intimacy, to heal that hurt from the past of being a prostitute. Guys, don't miss this. God, this, this is not just fluffy, churchy stuff. God wants to come in directly to where the hurt is and say, let me rewrite it. Let me show you the way it's meant to be. And that's what he did for Rahab. And can I show you the beautiful thing about this? It gets even better. Yes, yes, yes. We know she's part of Jesus. We got that. We'll get to that. Her son is Boaz. Do you guys know who Boaz is? Boaz is an interesting character. Because Boaz, if you can read from this, he marries Ruth. Do you guys know who Ruth is? Ruth is also a foreigner. But she's a widow instead of a prostitute. And Boaz comes and he redeems her because as a widow her her husband died but she's looking to remarry but see the difficult thing is that she's a foreigner so no one would want to help her naturally because she's not family but Boaz stepped up and he married her can I tell you what I believe why he did that because he looked at his parents story he said wow mom look there's a woman that needs help there's a woman who, doesn't, who, who, who lost love. There's a woman who needs to be redeemed. I look at dad. Wow, you did that for mom. Wow, dad. That's such a, you taught me this. 
You don't think that Boaz learned that from his father? You don't think Boaz learned that heart from his father? Looking at his parents' story, let me tell you something, guys. Not only does God change your life, when you let him step into your space and change your life, rewrite your redemption, rewrite that shame into a beautiful story, not only does it change your life, it changes every life after you. It's the beginning of a legacy. Instead of a legacy of shame, we were talking about generations of, what, we're talking about families who have generations of alcoholism, gen generations of divorce, generations of abuse. We're talking about that. God says, no, I want to take all those generations of bad I'm gonna cut it right here if you make a stand if you let me in I'm gonna change your life and from that point on I'm gonna make it a story of redemption for every person after you for every person after you guys this is so powerful God doesn't just change your life he changes every life connected with you after that your story of redemption is so powerful it's beyond you it's not just you it's for every person after you I truly believe that because of Rahab and her love with Salmon, it affected Boaz. And then Boaz did the same for his wife, Ruth. That's a powerful family. And then, yes, of course, he's the grandfather of David, who is the line of Jesus. And that's a spiritual blessing. Okay? So I want to tell you guys, we're going to wrap this up right now. And I want you guys to know something. You know that red cord? that hung outside of her house, Rahab's house, that identified her as a prostitute. Can we go to the last verse that I have? This is what Jesus does to your shame. This is the instructions of the soldiers to Rahab. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. So they told her, take that red cord. They didn't know this. They're just trying, you know, they're just trying to look for a sign. They're just looking for something. Oh, grab that red cord. Put it over here. So she hung it in the window because in the moment, in the heat of the battle, that way Joshua, who was the commander of the Lord's army, could say, that's where Rahab is. Go and save her. It became the symbol of her salvation. It became the marker to say that she was saved. Let me tell you something. That cord used to be a, used to be a sign for... <laughs> for disgusting men to come in and do shameful acts. It used to be a sign of her identity as a prostitute. It used to be, it used to be a, a symbol of shame that she would hang on the street side of her house. But God said, no, take that down. Now put it on the window side, on the outside, and let everyone see. You know, she used to hang that cord only at night so that no one could see. Hang that cord only at night on one side where only the street side could see. But then God says, when I redeem you, I take your past. I don't burn it. God doesn't say, act like it never happened. God doesn't say, act like your past never happened. Act like this didn't ever happen to you. But God says, now, what used to be what you would hide, I'm going to take it. And I'm going to ask you to put it in the window and let everyone see. Why? Not because you want to be proud of it, but because it's part of your redemption story. Now, you tell people, this cord, that's not who I am. That's who I used to be. This cord, that's not who I am. That's where God saved me. You know, this cord, that's not my ending. That's the beginning of my story. You know, this cord, it's where God found me. You know, this cord is what God changed in me. And I'm going to put myself on the line again. That's why I can freely talk about my struggle with pornography. You know why? Because I took that red cord. Guys, I didn't tell nobody. I only told a close group of friends. I didn't tell nobody. I couldn't even tell my own wife. You want to talk about shame? At night, 
I could barely put that cord out there even at night. But you know what happens when God steps into that place and he heals you? He t- now I can take that cord. I can hang it in the window. I can freely talk about it to anyone who needs to hear that story. Why? Because I'm not ashamed anymore, guys. I'm not ashamed anymore. I'm not happy about what I did. Heck no. Are you serious? Yeah, it's not good. I'm not saying it's not that it's good. I'm not saying it's good, but I'm not ashamed anymore because you know what? When I look at that red cord, when I look at my past, when I look at what I've done, all the horrible things that I did, the way I handled that poorly, the way I looked at pornography for so long, all all the pain that's associated with that, you know what I think of now instead? I think of, man, God, look how far you brought me. Man, God, look how much I changed. Man, God, look at what the work you did in my life, God. Look at how I'll never be the same again. I'll never be that person again. That's where you picked me up from, God. That's my starting point, God. But now, that's far from me. And now, I put it out there for anyone else who's got a red cord. Now I put it out there for anyone else who knows, who understands. And now I say, come into my house. Let me show you how I moved it from here to here. You guys, if you feel like you've been redeemed, can I tell you something what God's heart is for you? I'm calling out to the Boazes in the house. If you feel like you've been redeemed, it's your job to redeem someone else in this house today. It's your job. If you feel like you've been redeemed and you have that cord in the window instead of the door, You teach someone else how to do it. You tell them, let me tell you my story. You're struggling with this, I struggle with that. You struggle with this, I struggle with that. Let me tell you how I brought it from here to here. That you would come to someone who's in shame, who feels alone, who feels like they can't look at God and say, you know what, I'm going to take this rope and I'm going to help you. Let me help you move it from here to here. Can we be a house that redeems each other? That's the word of the Lord for you today. Can you guys close your eyes with me? We're going to wrap this up right now. But there's one question I have to ask you right now, and I want you to interact with God. The one question that he asks you is, he's going to ask you three questions. He's going to ask you, are you going to let me in? That's the first question. Jesus, are you going to, Jesus is asking, are you going to let me in? The second thing he asks you is, are you going to listen to who I am? I want to tell you who I am, but do you want to hear it? Do you want to listen and hear who I am? And the third most powerful thing he says is, do you believe? Do you believe I am who I say I am? Because Rahab had to believe. Rahab could have said, no, that story's whack. I don't believe you guys. You guys are liars. You guys are spies. And I'm going to give you up to be taken away. You guys are spies, so why would I trust a spy? But no, he, she said, no, I believe your testimony. Jesus is asking. Maybe you've heard his testimony before, but you haven't chosen to believe. Maybe you've been to church before many times, and you've heard the story of Jesus, but you haven't chosen to believe him. Today, I believe Jesus is asking you right now, do you believe what I said Do you believe I am who I say I am right now? That's the word of God for you right now. He's asking you, will you let me into your place of shame? Will you listen to what I have to say? I want to tell you who who you are. I want to tell you who I am. And I want to tell you how much I love you. And number three, do you believe that I can redeem you? Do you believe I can do this? Let me tell you something right now, guys. There's two groups of people. I want to pray for you first. If your hands are closed. I want to ask you right now, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't even know what I'm talking about, if you just feel like, man, I know I have sin, I know I messed up, I know I got some shame, I know I have, I I just feel like I can't come near to God, I just feel like, you know what, 
I'm just a bad person. God would never love me. I believe right now God wants to speak to that place. I believe right now God wants to let you know that that's nothing farther from the truth. I want you to know that God loves you. God loves you with all his heart. But yes, that sin and that shame does separate you from him. But there's good news. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross because he took that shame onto himself so that he could rewrite your story. He took that shame onto himself like the burning down of Jericho. He took away all of that. And he said, no, I came here to give you a new life, to let you come into my family, to adopt you, to give you a new name, to give you a new life. But you have to believe. And so right now, this is your moment today. I believe it. That God brought you here for a purpose, to hear the gospel, to hear this good news. If you do not know Jesus, but you want to know him, you want to give up that shame, you want him to come in, you want him to redeem you, and you want to be part of his family, and that you say, yes, Jesus, come and forgive me of my sins and change me forever. Come into my life and adopt me as a son and a daughter and remove my sin so that I can be with you forever. I want you to raise your hand. And I ask you to raise your hand, not because I want to call you out, but because I want to know you so that I can hug you and shake your hand and walk with you in this. I want to offer that gift of salvation again. Because salvation is here today, guys. Just like Rahab, she had no hope. She had no future. She was a prostitute in a pagan land, in a pagan city that's about to be destroyed, guys. She had no future. She had no hope of anything good. And Jesus knocked on the door and changed everything. That's the invitation of God today. He's saying, if you don't know me, I came to give you life. And I came to give you life abundantly. And I'm knocking on the door right now. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't have eternal life through the Son of God, I'm asking you right now, if you want it, it is here right now. Raise your hand because Jesus wants to give it to you. He wants to meet you right now in this place. Do not wait. He's knocking on the door. And I know it's hard to talk about the things that you've done in the past. But he's saying, I want to step into that space right now. If you do not know Jesus, do not wait another day. He's asking you right now, I have life. Will you let me in? Will you believe? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So then the rest of you must be the second group of people. And I love you guys. The ones who walked with God faithfully. You guys have been to church you guys know Jesus, but you know what's interesting? Christians can still carry shame too. You know that? Christians can still carry shame. I carried my shame for almost, what, 20 years? Oh, Lord, help me. God wants to step into that space for you too. You know, sons and daughters who live with shame, that breaks the Father's heart. That breaks the Father's heart. So Jesus is standing at the door for you too. And he's saying, I died for that shame. You know what Jesus said? He said, you're not your own. You know what the good news about that is? He says, that shame's not yours anymore. That's mine. I'm going to say that word again because I don't think you guys get the gravity of that. Jesus says, my son, that shame that's yours, that's not yours anymore. That's mine. I paid for it with my blood. Now give it to me. Give me what I paid for. Give me what I died for. My daughter, that shame that you have, that's not yours. That's mine. I died for that. I paid the price for that. Give me what I paid for. Give me what I died for. Give me that shame. It's not yours anymore. It's mine. And the Lord is saying today right now, if there's any of you who, who are sons and daughters, 
who holds shame, give it to Jesus right now. Give it to him right now. He wants to step into that place. You know what's funny about shame? We think, I can't pray today. Has you ever thought that? Oh, I, I messed up again, God. I messed up with that addiction again, God. I messed up with that sin again, God. I can't pray to you. I can't come near to you. That's a lie. Oh, I can't come to worship, God. I can't come to church, God. I messed up again. Oh, I can't go to Wednesday night prayer. I messed up again. You know, I can't ask for blessings. I can't ask for good things, God. I can't draw near to you, God. You don't want to be near me, God. I messed up again. That's a lie, guys. That's a lie, guys. You know what God does? He asks you right now, come into my presence. Let me in. Give me your shame because I want to see you. And let me tell you how much I love you.